0: You are listening to the Holy Cannoli Podcast. It's all about making sense of life, who we are, and why we're here. Life is sacred and life is strange. And here's Matt Nightingale.
1: Hey everybody, that's right, it's me, Matt Nightingale, taking over as the guest host for Holy Cannoli this week, episode 21, I want to say hello to all the cannolios out there. That is my preferred name for Holy Cannoli listeners, the cannolios. Um, and I've got a couple special guests here with me in the studio. Um, we are actually podcasting after... A service at The Quest in Novato. This is the church that I am blessed to be the worship leader at. Tony has been preaching here for the last three weeks, and um, often my kids play in the band with me, which is really fun. So today we had Zachary on drums, we had Emily on acoustic guitar and vocals, and they are here with me to say hello to all of you. Hello to all of you. (laughs) There you go. So you guys have heard me talk about um, my kids, my family on uh, different episodes of this podcast, and I just thought it would be cool to have them here to prove that, yes, hey, look, they're alive and well, and um, they can't see you do that. Emily's making like so-so motions with her hands. just
0: a joke for Zach. (laughs) That's okay.
1: (laughs) So how are the Nightingale kids today?
0: I'm good i'm also good
1: well there you go i had
0: cookies for breakfast
1: <laughs> they rolled up with like a giant box of cookies and it was like breakfast anyway
2: you we were on time okay yeah,
1: yeah you were on time you were on time that's good um the reason i'm taking over the podcast host chair this week is because uh this episode features one of my best friends His name is Jaron Hess, and if you have uh, followed me on social media at all over the last couple of years, you've for sure seen pictures of me and him. Uh, Jaron came into my life a couple of years ago, just as I was starting to come out of the closet, and he himself was coming out too. You'll hear his story in this episode, but it was really cool the way God kind of like collided our lives together in the most random of ways, and he became one of my really, really important friends as I was just kind of embarking on this new life. I wanted to be able to um, do it with a good Christian friend, and Jaron was that friend, um, just in the right place at the right time. So um, I got to listen to a little advance copy of this podcast yesterday, and um, it's just an amazing story. I've been a big, big fan of Jaron's life and work, and uh, I'm excited that you guys get to hear it. So a couple things um, before we turn it over to Tony and Jaron. Um, first of all, Tony and Wendy are doing a Q&A session on November uh, 12th. So Monday, November 12th, you'll get to hear Tony and Wendy answer all your questions. So we thought we'd just throw out a couple. Emily and Zach, uh, you got any random questions for Tony and Wendy?
2: So um, so
0: what is your peanut butter and jelly ratio when you make the sandwich? I prefer a three to five peanut butter favored sandwich <laughs> My question relates to my favorite food, macaroni and cheese. Um, with the Kraft macaroni and cheese boxes, which is preferred, elbows or shells?
1: Mm. That's, a hard one. that's a hard one, and that's a, that's a really important question. I want to know who is your favorite Game of Thrones character and why? All right. So I need to hear that answer on November 12th. You can post your questions for Tony and Wendy on the Facebook page. Uh, You can just message Tony directly. Heck, you can message me directly and I'll get it to Tony. So um, let's find out. Heck, yeah. (laughs) Heck, let's do that. Uh, So without any further ado, I think we're going to turn it over. Um, It's episode 21. Enjoy uh, Tony and Jaren's conversation. Um, We're going to call this one another Christian coming out story.
2: Are you a hugger?
1: Yes,
0: I am. I didn't used to be. My family is not huggy, <laughs> but I enjoy hugs. You
2: grew into the hugs? Uh, yeah, it took some work. And the reason you're here is because of Matt Nightingale. So you and Matt Nightingale are friends, and you guys were roommates at one point. Yeah, for a very short time. How did you guys connect?
0: Um... We met very randomly at a mutual friend's house. Um, The friend uh, was a guy, a guy I hadn't met until I moved out to uh, to the Santa Rosa area. I was crashing on his couch while I found a place to live. I had just left Pennsylvania for the first time. Mm -hmm. I mean, to just move out and find my life. And um, uh, this guy had gone to the church that Matt uh, was the, the, the worship leader at before he came out. Um, Mm. and then he heard that Matt came out and he reached out to him and said, Hey, you want to come over for dinner? And Matt just was like, okay, sure. And so we randomly met there and, um, our mutual friend is kind of crazy. And we, I don't know, we just connected and kept in touch. And I don't think Matt ever hung out with that guy again. It was just a very random thing that, we, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's it's a, I guess it was a God thing because Matt really restored my faith in humanity, and it was a good experience. Ooh, all
2: right. Well, that's where we uh, we need to start. So I'm gonna launch in. Hey, welcome to Holy Cannoli listeners. If you are a brand new listener, uh, thanks for joining in. There's been a whole series leading up to where we are today. So I'd encourage you to go back and listen to episode one through wherever we are today. I don't even know what number it is, but, uh, Jaron Hess is my guest today. And the Holy Cannoli podcast is under the, the brave maker media productions and Brave Maker is all about how brave stories change the world. And so from what I know about you, Jaron, you have a brave story that has, uh, that is changed, that changed your world. It's changing other people's worlds around you as you share it. And so let's, uh, we'll get into how Matt Nightingale, who was on episodes nine and 10, how he, um, impacted you and restored faith in humanity, how your understanding of God has changed and understanding of who you are has changed. but Let's just kind of back it up. Give us a little bit of a, a bio of who you are, because we talk a lot about that. Who you are and why you're here in the world is the two biggest questions we could ever answer. Like, who are you and why are you here? How would you describe that? the answer to that question in like where you've come from and now who you are? And then let's dive in from there. And this whole this whole thing is all about conversation. Um, I don't ever prepare like t- questions. I have a few, like, Hey, are you a hugger? Uh, I love knowing how people experience God, but I just trying to listen. I'm trying to learn and I'm trying to engage and model for listeners, how we can experience God in ways that are unexpected, strange, and unusual outside of the normal, every, un- everyday understanding of where God is meaning on a Sunday in a building with a cross on it, but beyond that. So that's the whole context of the Holy Canole podcast. So, who are you, and why are you here? How would you describe that?
0: All right, uh, sounds good. Yeah, so I grew up in rural Pennsylvania in a German Baptist community. Um, nobody really knows who the German Baptists are. Uh, mm-hmm. They're like a cross between Amish and Mennonite, um, but they don't—they're not like known for anything. They don't sell quilts. They're not as public as the Amish are. Um, so. They, I mean, they do have cars and electricity, so they're not like horse and buggy people, but, um, they still are extremely restrictive, patriarchal. Uh, like I didn't have, I wasn't allowed to listen to the radio or watch movies. Excuse me. Mm -hmm. Um, so I was very sheltered. Like I lived on this big farm. My grandpa owned it and my dad settled back in the woods. He built a house back in the woods Mm -hmm. and raised his family there. And our next door neighbor was my uncle, my dad's brother. Um, and then back the lane, there was another farmhouse. My other uncle lived there. Uh, so basically, my neighbors and friends growing up were also my family, my cousins. Um, so 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 sheltered in such a small um, community. And of course, you know, are we talking like
2: 50 people, a hundred people?
0: Well, okay. So the German Baptists have little communities all over the country. There's probably, uh, I don't know, like 5,000 of them now, uh, they've been around for a long time, but they don't evangelize. They don't publicize. They're, they're not about growth other than just starting a family and having a bunch of kids. And that's
2: how they grow reproduction.
0: Right. <laughs> right yeah. <laughs> so it's a very self-contained community that just exists and it's their whole thing is trying to stay the same and not be conformed to this world and uh, not be too influenced by modern society. Mm -hmm. So,
2: which for some listeners, you might hear that language and say, you know, don't conform to the world. You might immediately connect that to a scripture because it, it is a scripture in which Paul wrote in Romans 12, right? That we're meant, is that right? Romans 12. I'm blanking. Um, do not conform to the world.
0: Well but you but transformed
2: by the renewing of your mind yes, Romans 12 uh, 1 through three or something like that something like that Yeah. yeah. so there's, there's some merit where people would say, well, of course that's what we're supposed to do and they're taking these well, these words to heart, which as we should, but they're taking them really to an extreme heart level where they're actually secluding themselves and not wanting to be look like literally look like the rest of the world because you like, like that Amish, they, they wear unique clothing and ta- talk about that a little bit.
0: Right. Yeah. So people in LA where I live now are always shocked by pictures of my family because they look like they come from the Scarlet Letter or whatever. It's like very puritanical. They wear head coverings and long flowing dresses like the men wear black hats and, you know, they kind of look like hipster pilgrims. Uh, Very cool. Very cool. Um, But yeah, so. They're, they're all about setting themselves apart and like being a shining example to the world, but, um, not actually going out and trying to change the world in any way. They're mm-hmm. about preserving their way of life more than, uh, growing or becoming, uh, anything bigger. And you know, they're really just about, um, I don't know. they're there's, I feel like over the years, um, these beliefs have been handed down from generation to generation and their, their way of life has kind of become a parody of a parody of itself. Mm. Um, so it's really hard to pin down like what their actual beliefs are. They just do things because they've always been done that way. I mean, this goes back to the 1700s, I think, um, like they started in Germany, uh, came over to find religious freedom when that was a thing. And, um, you know, it's, yeah, it's, very hard to pin down their their um the, like the origins of all their beliefs because honestly it is a thing that's it's a heritage that's been handed down to them for generations
2: so this was your life from time you were born till what what how long were you there and what why how did you leave
0: well um so I never actually joined the church. Like it's a baptism by choice thing where you're, you're a teenager and you decide, okay, I want to be an official member. So I'm going to go to the head elders and ask if I can be a member. And there's like a short process where, um, the church welcomes you in. And, um, so I never actually did that. I always had, uh, somewhat of a, a doubt in my mind. And part of that was due to the fact that I knew from a very young age that I was gay. And, um, I just like sexuality wasn't something that was talked about. So I kind of knew that I couldn't talk about it and I felt completely alone and didn't really have any way to process it until, uh, I was in my later teens and figured out how to get on the internet. (laughs) You actually had the
2: internet? No, I had to
0: go to the library to get on the internet and uh, and then eventually I got a laptop and would go to Starbucks and I started reading more about, uh, you know, the outside world and, Mm -hmm. Um, I was, I was blown away when I found out that you can be a Christian and be gay and, uh, hold that tension. Um, and so
2: how old, cause it sounds like the movie village by M night Shyamalan a little I bit. I get that a lot actually. Yeah. <laughs> just got I've that never... picture in my mind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cause when you first described it, I thought you were out in the middle of nowhere and then you just said a library and Starbucks I'm like, Oh wait, you had access to that. Yeah,
0: no, we were very suburban, but it's, it's so strange because we lived just outside of a, you know, fairly small but, you know, it's a developed city. We had uh we had an olive garden. We were cool.
1: <laughs> Breadsticks. Um,
0: <laughs> yeah. But uh like all of our social life was totally wrapped up in the church mm-hmm. and um everybody I knew was part of this church. Like I didn't have friends. I was I went to I didn't have friends outside of the church. I went to a German Baptist private school. Uh for high school I was homeschooled. Mm-hmm. And um it was it's a, it's like a, I don't, I don't know if they planned it to be like this, but it's almost as if, um, the people in charge are intentionally creating a culture that it's, it's very difficult to leave. Hmm. And, uh, so it is, it is really, really hard to leave that because everybody, you're not really equipped to deal with life outside of it. Um, uh, but I was always curious about life outside of it. Hmm. So, I mean, I would. Uh, read whatever I could get my hands on. I would I would watch movies if I could get away with it. And hmm. um, I always knew in the back of my mind that I would have to find out how to live outside of this little bubble, and I would have to figure out how to make a resume and get a good job. And like higher education wasn't really an option for me. Um, so, I mean, I am actually about to start community college in Pasadena for the first time. Wow! So that's exciting. But it took me a long time to get there. Like I'm 29, so, um, not ideal, but you know, it's fine. Uh, but yeah, it's like the process of actually leaving was really, really hard. I had to, um, gradually work my way up to it. And I, I started meeting gay Christians and I found a lot of healing through that and courage through that. And eventually came out to my family. And at this point I had been living uh, in a house that I rented, Like five miles away from my parents and I had been gradually withdrawing from church and uh, trying to make connections outside of that and build a social group of my own that didn't rely on that puritanical lifestyle because uh, I had no idea, like, honestly, until about a year before a year before I came out, I just didn't ever plan on telling my family or anybody that I grew up with that I was gay I was just going to like fade out uh, into the distance and maybe move somewhere else and just like gradually lose touch with people. But I got the courage to come out to them and it went better than I expected. Mm. And, um, I, I, I still felt like a Lego in a box of Lincoln logs, like Mm. not a useful part of the architecture. Mm. Um, so even though I did my best to get along with my family and, to help educate them about the fact that this is not a choice, et cetera. It was just a really hard situation to be in because Mm -hmm. I would be either feared or pitied Mm -hmm. or just, you know, outright, I would outright disgust people. And Mm -hmm. a lot of people just disappeared out of my life completely. Like people that I grew up with. um, Once I stopped going to church, it was like, I never existed. And um, so yeah, it was, I I felt like I was just barely coping with all of this. And I felt like I had to get away from Pennsylvania because I was constantly reminded of the community that I lost and just, it was so painful. And I just, I had no idea how to deal with, uh, the, like eventually everybody found out that I was gay. And, um, like my uncle would, you know, lovingly try to convince me that, Mm um, he knew more about, how I should live my life than I did. And he had never talked to a gay person before. And <laughs> it was just really hard because I was brought up to really, really respect these people the the, the authority figures in the church, these elders, these gray bearded men who, um, were the spiritual leaders. And I was approaching it from basically I was this unbaptized child in their mm. eyes. And that's how I felt on the inside too. Mm. So even though I knew a lot about how sexuality works and how I can't actually change this it's uh I I mean yeah I never um I never actually went to any kind of conversion therapy or anything because I'd heard too many horror stories about it and you know I I knew by then that I had been praying long enough that if, if there, if there was any possibility of me becoming straight, then it would have happened already. And anyway, not to get off on a tangent, but,
2: (laughs) but that's, that's helpful for some of my listeners, you know, as I had Matt on twice and then had a mother who was walking through the embracing of her gay son, you know, you can imagine I've had lots of conversations now, the church context that I came from was not the extreme, you know, puritanical, as you said. you know, exclusive, removing from community, from society, but we still were an evangelical community that would read the scripture in traditional ways. And there are listeners that are still at that point. And if you are one of those listeners, I want to say thank you for hanging on this journey with us and with me, and I want to continue to encourage you to to read, to listen, to listen, to respond, to listen, mm-hmm. to be quiet at times, and just keep listening. Uh, because these stories are are, are the brave stories of coming out that people are sharing, uh, are, are changing the way we understand God. It's not changing God. God's never been changed. God never changes. But we are getting a better understanding. And after I'm realizing there are 39,000 denominations in the world, we need to understand that there's so many different ways people look at Scripture. And around sexuality, there has just been, I mean, I think a a gross misinterpretation that we've had. And now it's like there's becoming more of an openness, which is beautiful, because people are starting to share and starting to say, hey, this isn't what we thought it was. And so I just want to acknowledge that for listeners, that you might still be in that place. And part of the reasons why I want to do these discussions is I think it's important for us to hear stories, like you said, your uncle didn 't even know a gay person, and a lot of listeners they know of gay people as sort of a category or a label, but they haven 't heard heard people 's journeys um, But with that, I think it can also be traumatizing having to have people talk about how they got to that place and what changed their mind of accepting themselves so with that, I want you to you know you feel comfortable sharing with whatever you share you want to share, but can you talk a little bit about? what you were understanding about yourself. You were, you were hurt. You, how did you know, you didn't know any other gay people growing up that you were gay and, or that that was something that people were disgusted by? Like you heard conversations. Can you explore that a little bit? I'm sure people have been in these conversations, but I think it's important for people to hear firsthand what it looks like in someone's life.
0: Yeah. Um, it's, it's really, it's really hard to, actually communicate all of the factors that go into this whole uh experience because like whenever I try to talk about this uh it's it's very hard to arrange it all into a linear story mm. because um I guess there's there's just so many nuances that shape us as we grow and like Yeah, I guess I can start with how I figured out I was gay. Um, So I didn't have a word for it. I just kind of noticed guys. Um, And I think I was about 11 when I got curious and looked up the word sex in the dictionary. Or no, it was the encyclopedia because (laughs) I remember finding the footnotes. And, you know, there's like a bunch of suggested articles at the bottom and um, of the book of the encyclopedia of, of the encyclopedia entry
2: uh-huh.
0: and homosexuality was a word in there. I was like, Oh, I wonder what that is. So I looked that up and read the definition and immediately knew that I was gay. Um, and yeah, I was uh, like 11 or 12. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was just no question in my mind. I had not had any sexual experiences. I just know, knew that I was attracted to men mm-hmm. and not women. And I didn't even know that this was a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Like I just, um, Oh,
2: that explains it.
0: Yeah, it was a thing. It wasn't a thing that I would talk about to anybody, but it wasn't until later, I think I was 13, that uh, I learned that the Bible actually specifically talks about this. And this was a new thing to me. I didn't realize, I just didn't think the Bible would actually. Um, talk about sex because, <laughs> uh, you know, we always had the, the sanitized version. And also I probably didn't pay much attention in church because church was this thing that I did every Sunday and twice every other Sunday. Well,
2: churches on Sunday don't talk about sex all that much either, do they? <laughs> Except no, for in very unique, I mean, small ways. Yeah, a lot of them don't, know. Yeah.
0: So it's, uh, I mean, yeah, it, I would have had to pick up some adult context. Mm-hmm. And, of course, I was too young for that. So... Uh, yeah. I mean, when I found out that it was a bad thing, that it was an abomination, I was like, Oh, I better quit, uh, better (laughs) quit being gay. Um, that didn't work. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I tried to find women attractive and I just couldn't do it. And I realized at that point that I had not chosen to be gay. Uh, I just felt like I always had been. And I, it felt really, really futile to even try to change that. It was just like a, a fundamental thread in the tapestry of my life and so i just lived with it and it was very depressing because i did not know any other gay people and i just thought um i'm a disgusting abomination and i have to deal with that and maybe eventually i'll leave and find a life outside of this and uh maybe i mean i just kind of had see you have to re- remember that at this point i thought that the world outside was this corrupting uh, just vanity fair from pilgrim's progress. <laughs> um, like I thought, I actually thought that pop music would corrupt me. Um, so I mean, I just tried not to think about it. Like I, how do you deal with something like that? How do you deal with being an alien on a, yeah. in a strange land and knowing that you always be that way? Mm. Uh, so it just took a long time. I was, I was 24 when I finally came out and, um, You know, still very sheltered, but doing my best to build a life based on truth and to learn everything I could and to cope with the depression that results from Mm. being in a place where you don't feel like you're worth anything Mm. and you don't feel like um, you'll ever be good.
2: Yeah, Matt used that phrase that uh, as the church sometimes not sometimes a lot of times we shame the gay community into the closet and then we shame them for being in the closet and i was listening to a, a guy talk recently about the epidemic of shame in the gay community which is which usually comes from the church and it was so convicting to think about like that i had been a part of that you know in some way and he uh, this guy was talking about a story uh, about a 24-year-old who had died of um, it was like cirrhosis of the liver, I think, at 24, which meant they had drunk themselves into oblivion at 24. But he said, you know, as we were all wondering how Jay—it was his name—how Jay could have got to that place at 24, he had remembered well. At, in high school, we had all called him Gay Jay, and we had all belittled him and bullied him for his sexuality, and then we wondered how he could have you know, taken um, his depression and tried to cope through alcohol. I was like, wow. So what you just said about the way that you had carried the weight of, you know, your sexuality and depression, uh, I don't think we have even tapped the surface of what the gay community has had to go through as a marginalized people in the oppression, it's, it's traumatizing to be able uh, to walk through that and to carry this, that your whole being and identity is one that's called an abomination. So I just say, I'm sorry to you, man, for having to carry that. Any LGBTQ person listening, my, my like compassion for you is so huge. And it just not, it's not okay. It's not okay that we continue to do this and we continue to put the, um, the weight of our understanding of the Bible and trying to defend the, the, position of it to make people conform into, you know, a, you know, binary understanding of sexuality. It's just so wrong. Right. So how did you, and can you talk about your family dynamic, your parents, your siblings, what was that like? And how did it go as you came out to them at 24?
0: Hmm. Well, um, I first came out to my, oldest sibling her name is Jama. Uh, I've got two sisters and a brother um I you know I was very nervous and she handled it really well but by the end of the conversation she was like she was literally shaking and um she I mean she was she was so nice she asked questions and didn't uh, freak out and judge me and she kept my secret for a few weeks while I tried to decide what to do next. Um, and I was thinking, okay, maybe I'll come out to my other sister and then my brother and his wife. Um, but eventually there came a time when my entire f- immediate family was going to be in one room. And I I psyched myself up to come out to all of them at the same time. Uh, I couldn't eat anything that day. Um, it was just, it was terrifying. And I... I finally like it was getting close to the end of the night and I knew that I had to do it. And I told them I had something to talk about and then I just launched into it and they were stunned silent. So I just kept talking and trying to explain everything that I had learned in the last several years. Um, And they accepted that I was gay. They accepted that I can't change, uh, but they were very concerned about, uh, me doing anything sexual um, and i i would i felt so good that they i felt like this huge weight had been lifted and we had i felt like we were connected as a family i felt like part of the family for the first time in years mm. and um it was just a great experience and i i even though you know they weren't by any means affirming or and they were they were very concerned, I just felt so good I, I, I was so glad that they took it that well even mm-hmm. um, breadcrumbs I guess mm-hmm. but uh, it you know it, it became clear later that they were they were still struggling and they they really wanted me to talk to non-affirming counselors and um, I I had, had trouble conveying to them that I didn't necessarily want to have sex with a man what i wanted was to connect with people authentically and not have to be ashamed of the fact that i'm gay and uh, i just wanted to it had been this thing that i'd lived with for so long and i knew it would never go away and it was uh like it's not it's not my entire identity but it's it's a part of it that i need to uh, I need to accept myself. And the only way for me to really accept it is if I can be around people that also accept it. And I just wanted to be okay with who I am and not hate myself. Mm. And to do that, I just, the thought that kept it coming to my mind was that I will be okay with this when I can joke about it with my family. Mm. And uh, I think we, we've kind of gotten to that point. I mean, it might make them uncomfortable, but they're they're able to uh, they're able to talk about it without you know fear and cringing.
2: <laughs> what does that look like? What do you mean? You can joke about it because obviously you you moved away. You moved from Pennsylvania, right. East Coast to California, so you've been living separate. Now do you go back and joke? Or have they come yeah, out here? Or what I've, do you mean?
0: I visited them a couple times, and actually, a monumental thing happened about a month ago. My sisters came out to visit me. um, with our friend Carrie from Ohio um, and like it was this crazy collision of worlds. I had no idea what to expect. <laughs> I was obsessing about it from the minute I heard they were actually buying a ticket. I was, I thought about it every day and I thought about all the things I could show them and all the ways that they could, they could interact with my life. And I never knew that this kind of thing would happen. I never knew they would actually come out to a godless city like LA. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> um, so, you know, I went into it with a lot of trepidation and it was uh, it was interesting to reconnect with them in a space that I had created apart from them, a space where I had found my identity and my people and my church. And they went they came to church with me. They they uh, explored Pasadena with me. They uh, met my friends and had dinner with them and uh, we had the most fun and they they were so OK with it all. Like they even watched queer eye with me and I was blown away by that. Did
2: they watched season two, episode one.
0: That's the absolute, I was like in the hotel room with them. We were <laughs> unwinding after a hard morning of doing fun stuff. And, um, they were like, what should we watch? And, um, I was like, Hmm, you guys <laughs> want to watch queer eye? Cause my friends had been talking about it at dinner and they were like, okay, sure. So of course I picked season two, episode one immediately. And, they cried. It was amazing. Uh, I just realized how many parallels there are in that with my story. Mm. And uh, it was a powerful moment for all of us, I think.
2: So listen for, for listeners who haven't seen that episode, can you describe what they could uh, expect?
0: Yeah. So that episode is, uh, it's, it's glorious. It's, um, Picture it five gay guys go to a small town in Georgia that's called Gay Georgia. I forget what the population is, but it's extremely tiny. And basically, they help m- build a community center for this tiny little church. And in the process of doing that, they help this mother um, serve her community, her church community. Miss Tammy. Miss Mama Tammy. Mm-hmm. She's amazing. She's like the real star of that entire show. Mm-hmm. Um, but her son is gay and felt ostracized in the church. And over the course of that episode, he went back to a church service for the first time in a long time. And, uh, it was just, a it was such a healing. Um, I think everybody in the, the, everybody cried in that episode, Mm -hmm. like all of, all of the five gay men cried. Mm -hmm. Um, the mother and the son cried. Everybody in the congregation was crying Mm -hmm. at one point. It was just a beautiful it's a beautiful episode of a of a pretty groundbreaking show like mm. building bridges uh, where there typically are none is is what I describe it as
2: I think the unique part of that story with Miss Tammy is that she was not affirming of her son when he had first come out, so she was working through her own, so I think they gave permission to the to the watcher to be Miss Tammy and recognize it's okay to change your mind in fact. There's a book called Changing Our Minds by David Gushy that I highly recommend if you are a listener feeling as if, hmm, I'd like to change my mind. I I feel that it's the right thing, but scripture says this, scripture says that. Uh, There's a great book for you called Changing Our Mind, and it's how to relook at scripture, and it's how to be okay. There's permission. We've changed our minds on so many things. I've said this before on the podcast. We've changed our minds on divorce and how we treat people who are divorced, even though the scriptures, certain scriptures say certain things. We've changed our mind on women. We've changed our mind on people of color, and slavery, and interracial marriages, and many, many, many other things. So, super important. Okay, so your sister's come out, and you have this uh, fun, so you, so you joke about your sexuality with them, and they can actually laugh, and you feel comfortable with who you are with them. Do you wanna say anything else about that?
1: Um.
0: Yeah. I had trouble processing all the emotions that it brought up, uh, but uh, on a practical level, after they left, I felt like my entire being let out this sigh of relief. Mm. I felt like no matter what comes up, our family will still be my family. Mm. And that's something that I feel has been in jeopardy for so long. Like I haven't felt like part of the family growing up. I I feel that I'm growing apart from them. My life is radically different from theirs now. And it's harder Mm. and harder to connect with them. But my sisters made me feel so loved and they made me feel so good about myself. And that's a new experience for me. Like, I think a lot of people, uh, have family members that support them and make them feel good about themselves. And in my case, I don't have the support that I would like going into college has been extremely difficult for me because, um, you know, I'm older. I have to figure it all out Mm. on my own. I don't, most people have their family's support at least, Mm. but my family is like, um, I don't think you need to go to college. Um, so even that is, is kind of hard to hear from them. And it's hard to even want something when I've, I've never been given permission to want it by the people closest to me in my life. Um, but yeah, the visit with my sisters made me feel so made me feel so good about myself. Like I could, I looked in the mirror and I just loved who I was and Mm -hmm. something about a little bit of family approval was really life-changing for me. And a week after they left, I, started getting really down in the dumps because I I miss them. And uh, that's, it's kind of a, it was was just a lot of hard things to process because it made me feel so good and kind of bad at the same time. Mm. So, yeah, I I don't know where my brother is at with all this. And there's still that. Um, My sisters are really, really good at being supportive of me. And um, I really love them. And I don't know where my parents are. They're still having a little bit of trouble with it. And honestly, my whole family is still completely surrounded by people that have never talked to a gay person and will never understand that struggle. Uh, So they're constantly having their negative opinions of gays reinforced. Mm -hmm. And so I realize that's an uphill battle. But um, as long as I can focus on giving them grace and uh, just focusing on the things that we have in common rather than the, our differences i think that will always be a family
2: hmm. you use the word struggle and that word has been attributed you know in unique and different ways to the gay community you know in in one way people have said you know the struggle of same sex attraction but you're not talking about that you're talking about the struggle of accepting who you are and being accepted in your family mm-hmm. as who you are can you talk about What has that process been like with God, with you? How has God spoken to you in this strange 29-year experience of relearning who you are and accepting yourself? What has God done, or how have you experienced God in that process?
0: That's a good question. Um, So, Ironically, I never connected to God through the church uh the church church was just something i had to put up with it was hot in the summer cold in the winter <laughs> Uncomfortable benches, boring (laughs) sermons, miserable (laughs) hymn singing that sounded like a funeral
2: dirge. I'm so sorry for that, but that's the reality.
0: (laughs) I mean, the German Baptists take it to a whole new level. You're not allowed to have fun in church. Like, that's just against the rules. Doesn't that make
2: people want to follow Jesus when people are like dirgically, or is that a word? Like, like, (laughs) their faces are just not happy and they're singing joy to the world. Like, that stuff never made sense to me.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the German Baptists sing really... they sing the old standards, um, and they sing them very slowly, and the whole entire congregation sings at once. Do they have instruments, or is it a cappella? It's all a cappella. A cappella yeah. like, you is,
2: are instruments of the devil? Or sort of. Or temp-t- temp like You can like, have
0: a harmonica, but you can't have a piano. <laughs> uh,
2: because it says somewhere in scripture about <laughs> that.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's some uh, verse you could dig up that uh, casts music, musical instruments <laughs> in a negative light. But no, I I didn't connect to God through church. Mm -hmm. I survived church Mm -hmm. and I connected to God on my own Mm -hmm. when I was alone with my thoughts and able to let down my walls, I guess, Mm -hmm. and not feel like I had to perform. And I always felt like I had to fit in with people. And I even it it always went against my nature because I was interested in Mm -hmm. uh, peace and love and reading crazy fiction and. Exploring and drawing, and all of my friends were like, "Ooh, let's go catch crawdads and then mercilessly kill them and uh, do stuff like that." And I'm talking about when I was really young, I guess. I just noticed mm. that I, I was, I just felt like um, I just didn't quite get the wavelength that all the other boys were on. Mm. Um, but when I was Alone and staring at a full moon out in the woods, Uh, I grew up in a pretty beautiful area. I was, I just felt this sense of awe and wonder and uh, infinite possibility and also uh, just Mm. an internal quietness that I didn't have around people. So that's what gave me the sense of, I guess a being mm. and I had language to put around that, but it was so strange to me how singing hymns and going to church didn't connect mm. me to that feeling, but being alone with, uh, nature or art or, um, things like that, I would, I would be able to feel a presence, I guess, and feel the magnitude of this universe and the magic of it. Yeah. And so I didn't quite, there was always this conflict between what I felt and what I was told I should feel. And it took a long time to deconstruct the shoulds and get to the is. Yeah. So that's still an ongoing process. Mm. I've I've started actually looking forward to going to church for the first time. I found a church in uh, Pasadena called New Abbey that, is truly amazing Mm. Um, They're, I think they describe themselves as post evangelical. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think of it as kind of a a church survivors support group. Mm. Uh, And we have amazing discussions. No question is off the table, Um, but there's structure and there's, we're actually building things. We're not just like picking apart the church. We're building things together and learning how to process things and learning how to uh, do social justice Mm. and that kind of thing. And, it really feels like everybody's on equal ground there. There's nobody, There's not like a cult of personality or yep. anything. Um, it's really great. I recommend everyone in the LA area. Come check it out. That's
2: cool. As you were talking earlier, I was saying, yes, yes, yes. And I'm sure there are listeners who are identifying with what you talked about, where their experience in a building on a Sunday felt maybe felt limiting, Uh, even restrictive uh, or even condemning and not freeing or safe which again my pastor heart and history I feel so frustrated because I know in some way I pervade that even just the idea of the dressing up on a Sunday and having to get out the door and if you're a parent snap your kids in order and make make sure they behave and send them off to their class and be quiet and don't interrupt like that stuff just drives me crazy because of those little messages communicate something huge to a child. And I know, in part, I am a part of that. And I've created that, that my kids feel like they can't be free. And I'm a pastor, I'm the one speaking. And so I want my kids to be okay, like to talk and to whisper. Obviously, I don't want them to totally distract. But this idea that you have to align with the way we are in this culture on a Sunday, and this is what it looks like to fit in. And if you don't, then there's a stare. Uh, there's a, there's a side eye, you know? So I just feel such, um, conviction and frustration over that, that the church culture has become that. So I'm sorry that that was your experience. And then so many people, uh, and there's, there's something we can do about it. We can recreate what it was meant to be. We can, uh, or like you said, we can complain and argue and pull it down and some people choose to go that way. And I think there's a little bit, a small percentage of us that we need to critique. <laughs> but if we're wasting all of our time doing it, we'll get nowhere as, a, as opposed to like, what can we make it better? Let's, let's not talk about the problems. Let's solve the problems. and Let's create spaces where people can. And I love what you said. We talked about this in episode seven. Uh, create a community. It's about the people. And there's no one person, no white man who's at the center of everything. Uh, Men and women, straight and gay, are invited to the table. Uh, People of all color are meant to be. That's the people of God. And I think once we give ourselves permission to that, and here's a strong statement, and we also recognize we don't worship a Bible. We don't worship these stories and these commandments and these texts. We need them. They're important, they're they're our history, but I believe that the Holy Spirit is writing new stories and we are the new Bible. The Bible just means books. It means books, it's, it's a collection of books. And if you listened to Daniel Kirk, episode 13, he talked about the Bible is a collection of God's people communicating about God. So, we can't say the Bible says one thing about any one thing because even the Bible authors are communicating and dialoguing with each other. And so, uh, I would add this other guy, I forget his name, I'll have to look it up, but he said instead of saying the Bible says, we should say the Bible reads. Hmm. I like that because we're meant to read the Bible, and the Bible's meant to read us but if you come to it in a certain way, you will read it as you want to read it. So maybe it's better to say, I read the Bible like this, right? Mm -hmm. Because if you think it says something, you'll find a way to make it say something. And that's scary for some people. Like I'm getting messages on the podcast uh, page on Facebook, which again, I welcome listeners. Thank you for dialoguing. And I know some people are holding off (laughs) and some of you are jumping right in and going, wait a second, I disagree. Awesome, totally, we can disagree but we have to acknowledge that this book has caused lots of pain in our history. This book has been used for many, many things that are not of God. And so, why not relook at it today in the same way? Anything else you want to say about that in the Bible and your church experience, maybe what you hope for it for the future?
0: Um, I agree with that. It's uh it's really hard to talk about that because um the Bible has become this foundation and this pedestal that people stand on. And anyone who tries to chip away at that by suggesting maybe you read it wrong mm-hmm. is, uh, mm-hmm. is immediately seen as a threat. And mm-hmm. like I, in, when I first came out, I wanted to convince my family that I was okay, that God loved me. And that's all I wanted really. But just trying to convince them that God loved me the way I am, Was surprisingly um, difficult and emotional for them. Like they would, they felt like it was an argument, even though I was just saying, um, maybe there's room to reconsider. They were like, "Oh, you can't question the Bible," and like it was a tearful thing Mm. for them. And it was just really hard. And I realized that it's not my job to uh, Mm. change them and educate them. I guess it's Mm. uh, yeah. I have to, I have to give them the same grace that I want from them. Yeah, that's good. And so I, I really try to affirm everything good about them and their lifestyle. And, uh, that's really the only way that any kind of profitable discourse can happen mm. between us. Like me doing that and staying in contact with them and sharing my life with them via letters and pictures, uh, snail mail, fun times
2: because um, <laughs> they don't do email
0: right No, no internet. Uh so wow. <laughs> should have wow. led with that, right? It's a mind boggling thing. <laughs> wow. Like my my uncle was a doctor, but he quit because the internet happened and it became impossible to be a doctor without the internet. And um anyway. Wow. He works on a farm now. So uh yeah.
2: I wanted to add what you just said though, the way you are showing grace to your family. That's really interesting. And you said it's not your job to change them. I would say on the other side too, that's a really um, compassionate place to be, and if you are listening, and maybe you're saying, "Well, I I disagree. I read I read scripture differently." You get to do that. You get to read scripture the way you want to read scripture. And so, if you're listening and going, "Well, Jaron, whoever else is gay, I I think you're outside of God's will. This is not what God has or how God has designed." I would say, if you are a person of faith, can you not hear? These words as an invitation to go, well, what does it look like you for to be a person of grace then, even when you disagree with someone's quote lifestyle right mm. who if you are adamantly against, and i I, I have to use those words because it can be so strong sometimes we're known more for what we're against than what we're for, uh but I heard you say you're trying to find things as a gay man in your non affirming family, things that are good and things you can find common connection with that's actually really honorable, may people on the other side be just as human and just as kind to reciprocate that to the gay community. So that's my admonition to you listeners who are not there, who are not affirming, is can you engage with the LGBTQ community? Can you engage with your gay son or daughter or niece or nephew or neighbor in a way that says, I'm love I'm going to love you and I'm going to find common ground and good and maybe even remove the language I'm going to love you uh even though you're a sinner I mean like it, it, we don't even need to use those type of things we can say you are another fellow human being created in the m- image of God do we believe that if we believe that then the created image of God deserves to be treated with honor and respect and humility and so I just love that you pointed that out man I think that that's that's convey that, that was a quote right there I could really pull out and go yeah, wherever I am with whoever I'm in disagreement with, I need to do that. And I'm not always good. I mean, I blew up on someone the other day because they were talking about like how we shouldn't let our kids <laughs> trick or treat, and I'm like, oh my gosh, come on, really? We're still talking about stuff like that. Like, it just like, uh, and then I, I, I go, Tony, put into practice the things you're, you you want to you want to listen to, you know. So. Anything else you want to say? I want to talk a little bit about your art too. as oh, yeah, we end, sure. Anything else you want to say I, about that?
0: I want to throw out something that, uh, my pastor at new Abbey says all the time. Uh, Corey Marquez. Hi. Um, he, and, and, um, Brittany Barron are the, the co pastors and, uh, you know, he's a straight white man and she is a black lesbian and they're they're so awesome. They they lead it together really well. Anyway, the one of the central philosophies is unity over uniformity. Cool. Um so yeah, a lot of people love uniformity and it's predictable <laughs> and I I just think that you don't have to have uniformity to have unity mm. and unity is so much better because it acknowledges your differences and let's be honest, you, uniformity is a myth. Like no two people are alike. Um, But you can have unity between any two people, I think. I mean, in a perfect world, obviously, there will be people who disagree. But, yeah, unity is good. Uniformity is dangerous Mm. when it becomes your end-all be-all. It's good. But, yeah, we can talk about art now. Yeah.
2: Yeah, you said earlier you experienced God in nature and in the moon.
0: And I was saying, yes,
2: yes, yes. And there's so many people... I believe that's your story too. The confinements of a Sunday experience have not encouraged you to know the loving God or the love of God, but you've experienced God in a movie theater, or in your car as you cry. Have you ever cried in your car before? I like absolutely. Asking. What'd you cry about? <laughs> uh, okay,
0: so <laughs> I had this dream. This is this is a good story. It's maybe I shouldn't tell it. It's It's one of those stories that kind of uh it, it's it's really hard to put into words and convey it through words cuz it was a sort of a spiritual experience but it's a really good story about crying in my car so I'll give it a shot um i had this dream when i was uh i forget probably 5 or younger it's like a recurring nightmare hmm. um where my family my my siblings and i would play this game called snake and um the game involved cutting ourselves in half lengthwise and our two halves would like slither around on the floor like snakes. And this was just like a fun game that we played. And, you know, I was five. So our insides just looked like the inside of a hot dog. It wasn't gory or gross. Um, but whenever it came time for me to cut myself in half, I, w- I would always start getting scared and realize that this is a terrible thing and wake up. Hmm. Um, I forgot about this dream when I got older, as I grew up. Uh, cut Cut to when I was 23 and... I went to this camp out thing with a bunch of other gay Christians. And this was the first time I'd ever talked to a group of gay Christian people in my life. And we spent the weekend camping and talking and I could be acknowledged gay and acknowledged a Christian and affirmed for both of those things at the same time. And people kept asking me, wow, what's this like for you? You're so, you were so repressed and you're doing this for the first time and, the only thing I could think of to say was like, Oh, it's kind of like, I guess it's kind of like my two halves have come together and I'm a Mm -hmm. whole person again. Mm -hmm. And it's, um, I, I just, um, it was, it was a transformative experience, I guess. And then I left and, um, I don't remember crying much there. It was just, I was just living in the moment and enjoying the experience. But then I'd gotten my car and started driving away and like five minutes down the road, I had this hour drive ahead of me. And I suddenly remembered that dream I had. And it was like, it was like God was telling me then he gave me the, the memory of that dream to tell me that he had been with me throughout this uh, whole entire time. So good. And he had the, the, all of the, all of the pain and the suffering was not my fault. And it was like the two halves were fused together and my emotions could actually circulate and work again. And I'm not an emotional person. Like I was very walled off. I didn't Mm -hmm. cry, but I just started gasping for breath and I bawled the entire way home. And It felt so good. I was like laughing and crying at the same time. And I was playing these songs that I had burned onto a CD and I had carefully selected each one because it was a total banger. And each song (laughs) was like, it was speaking directly to me. And, uh, you know, just random pop songs, but <laughs> mm-hmm. it was the most, it was the most I had ever f- directly felt God's love and God's presence throughout awesome. the entire thread of my life. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, because some dreams, like, I don't know where that dream came from. It, what, it didn't come from my life. It was, it was a dream that was given to me as a sign. Hmm. And that's the only way I can describe it yeah. because as a five-year-old, I wasn't like a dark Emo five year old who was coming up with weird <laughs> narratives about cutting yourself in half. That was just a weird dream that I have and I yeah. t- had it and I totally forgot about it.
2: So you didn't play this game in real life; it was just a game you had in your dream, like a recurring thing, right? Yeah, because yeah, at first I thought you were talking about you played a game like in your oh, living room, but no, right. oh, it was a dream because obviously you, I thought you pretended to cut yourself in half, but in the dream, this was no, no. wow. The dream was just this. Weird That's wild. Dream that literally, dude. yeah. I
0: remember like being huddled up on the couch in this dream and watching my brothers and sisters, they were literally cut in half lengthwise and just moving around on the floor like snakes. it was terrifying.
2: So all the Pentecostals are going to interpret that a certain way. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But Hey, you can look at snakes symbolically in Moses's life. He used that to heal the nation of Israel. I mean, that's awesome. So dude, okay. So people, if you've experienced emotion in a movie or in a sunset or at the beach or in your car, that's for me something I think people really need to pay attention to. Art sometimes will do that to me. I'll be in a space, like an art gallery, and I will feel a certain piece or a certain space will like make me wobbly in the knees. I'll just feel emotion, and I attribute that to the spirit of God, to the work of art. And I think artists who aren't even intending sometimes to create a piece that has a spiritual ramification don't realize like that's part of the process of creating and making things and putting them out into the world I really believe that God is so much bigger and everywhere than we can ever imagine so that story for one is a testament to that and I think for listeners that's the whole like I wanted to start Holy Cannoli to talk about these types of stories to help people understand you can experience God anywhere and a lot of my listeners over the past couple uh, months have been Messaging about how they've left churches because of many reasons because of spiritual abuse, because of confusion, because of disagreements, because of um, people being unaffirming. And my encouragement is keep experiencing God, keep seeking God, because He's with you. God is with the transcendent, the divine, the one, the source is with you wherever you are. Uh, and so, as we close, you have a unique set of art skills. Um, one that you do for, for like fun that I see you posting all the time. You've even done like drawings and illustrations about your experience coming out, about your coming of age, about your, your uh, sister. We should post some of these on the Facebook group. And then you have a unique job that uh, sets you in Pasadena. That's why you're in Pasadena. Can you talk about that, like your art life?
0: Yeah, um, that's... Why I moved to Pasadena is uh, I got a, I got a job making parade floats for the Rose Parade, and um, I in many ways I feel like that's where my life began. So wait,
2: just so listeners know the Rose Parade happens once a year, right? And your full time job is doing that all year long.
0: Yeah, that's right. That's I'm on crazy the ground amazing. floor making those floats from. I mean, it's we have a you know we have a team of welders and I I'm doing a lot of design now where I have to make detailed scale drawings for people to build structures and then I come along later and add all the details out of foam and paint and I have to carve uh, little models so people know what they should look like and it's uh, there's just so much art that goes into it and these, so these cool. companies pay a lot of money for this advertising opportunity. So that was just a random thing. It fell into my lap. I showed a guy my Instagram, and like uh, about a month later, I was hired to work for him. And <laughs> I moved from Northern California down to Pasadena and was actually able to settle for the first time since leaving Pennsylvania and um, start to kind of explore art again. And That's cool. I mean, art has always been a part of my life. It's, uh, I started drawing in kindergarten and noticed that I had a talent and I could get attention through that. Mm-hmm. People were like, Whoa, you draw a really cool butterfly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was always this thing where it was my thing, you know, mm-hmm. it was how I got authentic validation in a world where I was completely invalidated on mm-hmm. the inside.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but
2: so it's been healing for you to create. Yes.
0: For sure. Uh, it's, it's a way that I can express things that have been totally repressed or shamed out of me by mm. the church. Mm. And you know, it's just, it's a, it's a way of communicating. Like I'm an introvert and I have a little bit of social anxiety around new people. And so, so jumping
2: I, into this podcast was super comfortable for you.
0: <laughs> I have long since learned that I can't which, which of my fears I can ignore. <laughs> um, so no, it's been great, but um, yeah, no art is. I'm I'm just now able to start considering art school, and it's cool, man. Like throughout my entire life, I've had ideas and visions that I wanted to bring into this world, and I see things in my head that I want to create, and I want to communicate emotion and action that I can imagine. Um, but I have to have. I have been working in various jobs since Mm. I was 13 and, Mm. um, you know, not a lot of opportunity for a German Baptist to be Mm. in art. Like uh, art is, uh, you can maybe illustrate a newsletter with some bucolic nature scene, but you can't push the boundaries or create new things. Like I, I wanted to create things that hadn't been seen before. And the first thing we know about God is that he created the heaven and the earth. And I feel like that's, my, th- that's a one way that I've been made in the image of God is this creativity. I don't know where it comes from. It's just a, a thing that I'm compelled to do. Mm. Uh, so I really want to be able to communicate that way more and actually devote time to creating art that, um, that transforms pain and suffering into mm. peace and joy. Mm. And if I can figure out a way to do that in my own life, then uh, maybe I can help other people too. And whenever I do that, whenever I dig deep into the past and try to talk about pain and I, like I drew this little illustration on a post-it note, mm-hmm. uh, it was a picture of me leaving the bubble and there was like a literal bubble around my parents' house and they were, they were um, watching me leave and I had this backpack on and I was just heading out in this big, dark, scary world. Mm-hmm. And um, that really resonated with a lot of people and they felt like it was really powerful. And, uh, it was um, just a kind of eye-opening thing where I realized that people can connect to authentic mm. uh, emotion, even if it's not um, spelled out for them. Mm. And yeah, I don't know. Art art is really powerful, and I don't fully understand it myself. But I really want to go to art school and figure out more about it. And make that more a part of my life
2: dude you're super talented i saw the collection of your post-it notes i mean the the amazing things you can do in a small space Mm -hmm. we will post all this stuff on the facebook page so you guys have got to follow jaron is there anything else you want to say about your life your story your art anything you want to tell listeners anything one last thing
0: um no way to really wrap it all up it's uh still an ongoing process yeah. but hey hang in there and try to let go of the things that are holding you down mm. um and god is real but we probably don't understand him
2: It's mm-hmm. good life is sacred and life is strange how can people find you on uh, all the socials <laughs>
0: Uh, I think I'm most active on Instagram, and it's very subtly named (laughs) at Gay German
2: Baptist. (laughs) Gay German Baptist. That is the best. (laughs) (laughs) Just throwing it all. You're owning it, dude. You are owning it. (laughs) So yeah, follow Jaron. You put your artwork up there. I know you're um, you're open to interact with people, and if there's anybody who identifies as gay and, um, or you're, you're not out yet or you identify with Jaron's story you need some support you're in the LA area come join the, the New Abbey Yeah, the New Abbey in Pasadena we're actually recording this from LA I'm not sure if I said that uh, which is really cool so thanks for coming out and being here and Um, actually like this was the very first conversation we ever had and I made it happen on, on a mic. He showed up like, Hey, cool. Mic up, sign the waiver. Let's talk. And this is the very first thing. So dude, thank you so much for being honest and transparent. And I really appreciate you're living a brave story and it's changing the world, man. Thank you.
0: Thank you for having this space for me and making this podcast. Yeah, dude. It's been awesome. Cool holy cannoli
2: podcast is a proud production of brave maker media
0: for more information or to donate go to bravemaker.com to make
2: your tax deductible donation today thanks for listening to holy cannoli if you liked my dad's podcast please subscribe give it a review and share it with someone you think would be encouraged by it
1: uh if you've been enjoying tony's podcast like i have um Then let's give a (laughs) hey-ho. We have to start over. That is so stupid. Tony, he's going to keep this freaking thing in there, isn't he?